You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. Okay, I hear some bumping. <laughs> so uh, he is the he is the vine, and unless you are plugged into him, uh, then uh, you will uh, you will not experience fruitfulness. So uh, so back to why we're here. We have the, we have this thing that we do, and I'll report on it tomorrow in my staff meeting. Like, what did you do over the weekend? Well. Uh, I went to my church, which is, uh, which is on campus. What, what did you do? We, we talked about the Bible, all right, uh, for, a, for a half hour. And, uh, and the looks on the Zoom screen will be like, okay. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, but just a while ago, Ashley and Alan said they were excited. I am even more excited than them, and this is, this is why... The uh, when the church gets together, which is which is us, Illini Life, we're a student group, we're also a, a church. When when we get together, God cares about this time and our fruitfulness so much that He shows up. He shows up. He does something special. He says, "Wherever two or three are gathered in My name, there I am in their presence." And so, uh, so. There is, uh, let me tell you another reason that I'm super excited uh, to practice with uh, changing the slides with Rod here, who's doing this also for the first time. Yeah. Go ahead, yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah. So why is this man smiling? Well, uh, <laughs> is, is there anyone here who's 19 years old about about all right, so yeah, I was yeah, I was a young handsome guy like the back row there, when, <laughs> and uh, and it, it was a time of big hair. What can I say? Uh, the uh, but that's when that's when I read the Bible uh, really as an adult for the first time, and when I discovered what it is we're going to talk about today, 
uh, it changed my life. It put a new, it put a new expression on my face. Uh, it made me interested in worshiping uh, God with musical instruments and just set my life on a whole new course that uh, I wound up here. I'm an alum. I wound up here in the early 90s to study computer science. Uh, if you are an uh, engineering student, please see me afterwards, uh, and I can give you the pep talk you'll need uh, to get through. We have a lot of engineers here. But I had just discovered the very passage that we're going to get to go through today. So I was very glad that our, our march through the book of Mark uh, got us to, to this point, Mark chapter 2, verse 13, uh, today. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and just uh, gratefully ask God to be here with us for the next half hour and uh, remind me and remind all of us of, of what it's embedded in this passage that will change your life. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have set aside uh, times like this in, in the rhythms of the church for us to consider it together. Thank you that you, Jesus, sent your Spirit, just as you promised, to guide us into the truth, to take the things about you and reveal them to us. And that's what we ask for right now. I pray that these won't just be words on a page in a historical document, but this will be living and active and will reach into our hearts and minds and prepare us for what's ahead. Lord, you know, you know what got us here. You know what's in front of each of us this next week, month, and semester. And I know you want us to thrive. I know you want us to experience you in a real way. And I pray that these, these verses that we read will be illuminated by your spirit and each of us me included will see things in a new way amen all right so we are in mark chapter two uh in our in our march through mark this semester but i want to back up and uh set the stage for what we're going to see in mark two uh i'm going to i'm going to run through mark one uh Mark, I love this book. It's, he's so efficient uh, in, in how he communicates uh, the gospel. Uh, <clears throat> and in Mark chapter 1, so buckle in. We're going to go through right here in, in less than one minute all the highlights of these 45 verses. So you can read from the screen or listen to me here. All of these things happen in one chapter in the book of Mark, first John the Baptist introduces Jesus, and he says, he's, he's going to be mightier than me. Then, the God, then God the Father blesses him. The Spirit descends on him. Jesus preaches, calls the fishermen who leave their boats to follow him. He preaches in the synagogue, and they're amazed at him. Then the people are amazed because he drives out an unclean spirit. So that the news about him spreads everywhere. He healed Peter's mother-in-law so that all the sick and possessed begin coming to him. 
He preaches and casts out demons throughout all Galilee. He heals a leper who he tells not to speak. But against Jesus' command, he proclaims it freely and spreads the news around so that Jesus can no longer enter a city, but has to stay in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. Okay, all in one chapter. So he is on a roll. Uh, It's hard to imagine how one person could become so well-known, so successful, that he can't even... He can't even go into a city. He has to go out where there's places for people to gather. Then chapter 2. Because in chapter 2, we'll see that there's no action without reaction. And I had to throw in for all the mathematicians and physicists, Newton's third law, uh, which is for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. That's not a verse. Uh, but (laughs) But it is a principle in Scripture that there is no action without reaction. So we just saw a lot of action in chapter 1. Chapter 2 is when the reaction starts. Chapter 2, in chapter 2, Jesus does four things that we're going to briefly touch on because his his adversaries show up and they question these four actions. And the four questions that they will ask Jesus in chapter 2 Those foreshadow the things that will follow him the rest of his life on earth and will ultimately consume in the crucifixion. So this is where it all starts. This is where what gets him crucified begins with these four interactions, and here they are. Uh, The first we looked at last week. He forgives and heals a paralytic. And this is, what, this is what they say. They say, he is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So last week we saw that he can forgive sins. This week we're going to see who it is that gets forgiven. Okay, his second thing is he calls Levi and he eats with sinners. Okay, so that riles them up. They say, why is he eating with tax correct? collectors and sinners. That's what we'll come back to focus on. After that, he does not fast. So what he does not do gets him into trouble. Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And then the fourth incident, his disciples are hungry. They pick grain on the Sabbath. And so they say, look, Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So so right now then, the scribes of the Pharisees are, they're getting riled up. And so just in two chapters in the life of Jesus, by chapter 3, the Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. So from success to destruction in 45 verses, 28 verses, and now we're already seeing foreshadowing of the cross. So let's jump back. We'll look at our passage for today, uh, starting uh, in verse uh, 14. Uh, Let's see. There we go. 
As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. All right. It's not too hard to visualize that. Uh, I don't know what exactly a tax booth looked like. I just knew there was, I know there's a lot of action around there because they had taxes for everything, just among a few things. They taxed water, meat, salt. They had road taxes, city taxes, house taxes, and poll taxes. And uh, so Levi was a busy man. He saw Uh, Jesus saw him, and he called him to follow him. Uh, So the first thing we want to settle is, who is Levi? Who is Levi? We know he came from a tax booth. So uh, some some Bible translations will put in parentheses Matthew. Well, that's a decision that the translator made because because Levi shows up here and getting called but then he doesn't show up later in the list of disciples. So the list of disciples that we have in the other synoptic gospels, Mark, uh, Matthew, and Luke, uh, Levi is not mentioned. So some, some solve that issue by saying, well, Levi is another name for Matthew, which could be true, but it's, uh, it's also possible that it's another name for James, uh, James, the son of Alphaeus, is in the list, so uh, Levi might have been another name for him. But it's also possible that he was just another tax collector that Jesus called. And I, so I want to think about that for a minute. Uh, what if Levi was just, he was a tax collector. We know there were a lot of tax collectors. We know there were a lot of them who followed Jesus. We know Matthew was one who got named among the twelve, what if Levi was just another random tax collector that got pulled in? Well, what do we we know about him? Well, we know um, that he had a uh, shady reputation uh, because uh, tax uh, collectors, uh, one thing they did not do was publish uh, what the rules were. They kind of made them up as they went along. So it was easy for them to skim money uh, off of the off the taxed. Um, and in this case, Levi was Jewish, which which uh, compounded the problem because now he's working for the Romans and collecting money from his from his br- uh, brethren. Um, yeah, the reputation. Uh, was such that uh, they could not even give their money as alms. They, they could not uh, give away their money because it was tainted. It was assumed it had been uh, earned illicitly. And uh, they were known, as, known to be liars, and so their, their testimony could not be used uh, in any kind of uh, legal case. So we know he was disliked. Uh, we know by his, by his brethren, we know that he had a shady reputation. But the other thing we know about him is that he chose life with Jesus over his profession. So far, the people called had been fishermen, and they, they could go back to fishing, uh, which they did, uh, <clears throat> we see later on. Uh, but Levi... When he walked out of that tax booth, he left his old life behind. 
There was no going back. He chose a career of following Jesus over the career that he had previously. Uh, so right away, he kind of ranks as a hero for me. So <clears throat> that's what we know. That's what we know about Levi. Uh, it is exciting to think that um, that there were other people called who followed who were outside the list of the twelve. Uh, we know that amongst the twelve, there were three. Uh, there were uh, Peter, James, and John that were had special opportunities to be with Jesus. Uh, then there were the 12. But then outside of that, there was another uh, domain of people who followed Jesus, which included women. Uh, and uh, so there was a whole other sphere that possibly Levi was in. All right, so uh, let's look at the next verse uh, in our passage, verse 15. Uh, so it says, and it happened when he was reclining at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were dining with him and his disciples, for there were many of them and they were following him. So this is, this is interesting. It says that, uh, that <clears throat> Levi followed him and they were eating at his house. So some people jump the gun and say this was Levi's house, but there's really no reason to do that. Uh, this is, this is a, a window into the fact that Jesus likely had, he had a pad, he had a place. He said, you know, come over to my apartment, Levi. Uh, and we see some of uh, hospitality, we know, was a mark of the early church. And uh, they, uh, they got that from Jesus uh, there are other places where people followed Jesus. Of course, we know that he went and dined with others uh, in their houses. But in this case, it's likely that this was Levi who came to where Jesus was and dined with him. Uh, <clears throat> the, uh, so, they, you know, uh, this is how Jesus uh, got one of his titles uh, that I really like. Uh, in Matthew eleven nineteen. 19, uh, there are lots of references throughout the Gospels about this fact that Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. And in Matthew 11, it says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus was a friend of sinners. Uh, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. And then what I, what I really like about this scenario of Jesus inviting Levi over uh, as a first, kind of a first uh, action after Levi agrees to, to follow him and leaves his world behind and he, he comes and dines with Jesus is Revelation 3.20. So this is one of the messages to the seven churches uh, at the beginning of the book of Revelation. Uh, <clears throat> Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. 
So this, this highlights the fact that the reason Jesus wants followers is for their company. Jesus wants followers to be with him. Uh, and, and I love Romans 3, 20, uh, Revelation 3.20. Uh, if, you're, if you're given to, to memorizing Scripture, which I hope many of you are and all of us become, uh, this is a great verse to, re, to remind ourselves that, you know, Jesus uh, mainly wants us to be with him. Uh, that's, why, that's why he made us, uh, is so that we could have a relationship with him and he wouldn't have to dine alone. Uh, and uh, that's why he invites us, when we hear his invitation and respond, to have fellowship with him. Uh, <clears throat> all right. So, uh, so this is where the escalation of uh, irritation with Jesus begins. Uh, in verse 16, our next verse, when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? So to understand the scribal uh, <clears throat> irritation here, so this, this talks about the scribes and the Pharisees. And so as you read through, sometimes you see Scribes and Pharisees, scribes of the Pharisees, scribal Pharisees, Pharisaical scribes. You know, it, it's... Uh, <laughs> so there was actually two groups of people. The Pharisees were a religious, uh, a strict religious sect. All right, Pharisees. Then there were scribes. Okay, some scribes were Pharisees, some scribes were not. Ezra, uh, from uh, <clears throat> the Old Testament uh, book was a scribe, and it, uh, uh, it identifies uh, what that is in Ezra, uh, chapter 7, verse 6, says that Ezra was a scribe, a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses. So scribes, they knew the law well enough that they could write, uh, they could, they could write official documents. So if you needed an official document and you needed it to conform to the law of Moses, you get yourself a scribe. And uh, <clears throat> whatever your documentation needed to be, whatever contract you needed, uh, you would get it from a scribe. So these guys knew the law. They were professional, uh, the professionals in knowing the law and in, in writing, uh, <clears throat> writing contracts. They got into trouble, though, because they began to uh, usurp the law uh, by writing contracts that were outside the boundaries of the law of Moses. So Jesus uh, really gets after these people uh, in a very strong way uh, at the beginning, at the end of the Gospels, uh, about setting aside the commandment of God for the sake of the tradition. So uh, that's that's what they were doing here. Uh, the scribes of the Pharisees were, were really perturbed that he was eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. So tax collectors we talked about. Okay, when it says sinners here, so sinners was a broad term. Uh, it meant everything from those who were maybe uh, outwardly immoral or obviously immoral because of their profession 
uh, all the way to just people that they looked like everyone else. They just didn't keep the law to the satisfaction of the scribes. So, uh, <clears throat> so this was a broad band of people. Excuse me. Basically, if you were not a follower of the scribes and their interpretation of the law, then you fell into the sinner category. So why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? Uh, <clears throat> all right, so he's going to uh, answer that question. We, we see that uh, again in Luke, where uh, just before Luke, uh, the Luke 15 series of, of uh, stories about things that are lost being found, uh, it says, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And then <clears throat> Jesus, who was, Jesus is the master of all things, and, and we're going to see that he was also the master of irony. Uh, <clears throat> in, uh, in verse 17, hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. <clears throat> that, that, is, uh, that statement is, is ground zero of the gospel. Uh, the, me the, the message that Christ died for my sins, it's contained right here. The gospel launches with this statement that I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And in Luke, when Luke recounts a story like this, he adds, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. To repentance. Uh, which is a key word here because, uh, you know, just to not paint a picture of uh, Jesus partying with the, with the sinners. Uh, no, these were, these were folks who had left their old way of life and decided to follow Jesus in a new way of life, which is what, what repentance means, which is, a, which is a key part of understanding how this comes about. Uh, these, were, these were tax collectors known for being uh, known for being liars, thieves, and they were moving in one direction, and then repentance, which means literally to change your mind, results in a 180 degree change and going the other way because they were then following Jesus, and that's that's what he calls us to. He said, "I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repent." So. Who were, the, who were the bigger sinners in that room at that moment? Who were the bigger sinners in that room? Was it the tax collectors? I see a few of you uh, mouthing the words scribes, right. Uh, and so let's... Uh, <coughs> and this, this is where I get involved with this because... Uh, and I'm going to right now speak to my inner Pharisee, uh, and, and you may have one too. Uh, and so <clears throat> here's, 
uh, here, here are some other uh, passages where Jesus spoke to uh, those with the Pharisee mindset. John 9, 41, uh, after he had healed the man who was born blind. If you were blind, you would have no sin, but since you say we see, your sin remains. In Luke 18, the, this famous prayer of the Pharisee, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And uh, in Revelation to the one of the, uh, the seven churches, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, I have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And <laughs> those verses described me as I, as I uh, was a freshman at the University of Kansas you know, I, I had been exposed to the message of Christianity uh, growing up. And, uh, and so I had heard that Christ died for sinners. And I, th and I would agree with that. Uh, I was at, you know, somebody surveyed me once as a Christian uh, to, see, to see where I was coming from. I convinced them that I knew the gospel. But in my mind... Well, there's, there's sinners, and then there's sinners, you know, and, and I'm, I'm a sinner with a small s, you know, not a sinner with a capital S. You know, it's, uh, the, the, good, it's the good sinners that go to heaven, and then the, the other sinners go to the other place. Uh, and uh, so I was, I was at high risk for uh, not going to heaven because, because of my, uh, I, I had interpreted the gospel to be that Christ died for those who were somehow worthy of it. Because certainly, I mean, I didn't do this, that, the other thing. Uh, I made decent grades, so I'm, I'm sure that's part of it. Uh, and, uh, <clears throat> but then I, read, then I read this passage in Romans uh, and uh, I, I not only read it, but I actually, I actually memorized it because the, the, the short version of the story is I, I was dating a, uh, a girl who was claimed to be a Christian who, who really irritated me because she just like seemed to float above all of the, all of the problems and circum, you know, things that I had to deal with. And so... Uh, you know, it was out of uh, misplaced male chauvinism. I said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out this Bible thing. And so I actually, I, I read the New Testament, took a class on it, not taught by a Christian, but we, we had to read the, the text. And, and so I actually, for the course of an exam, I actually memorized these verses uh, to spit out on the exam. So my poor study habits and cramming uh, led, uh, led me down a, a totally unexpected road. Uh, because this is, what I, this is what I learned. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's where I learned 
that Christ did not come to call, did not, he did not come to call the righteous, but he came to call the sinners. And uh, the, night that I, the night that I realized that, the night that I realized that Jesus Christ had demonstrated, that struck me as well, that it was a demonstration of God's love. It wasn't just, it wasn't just a, a verse in, a, in an ancient text saying, God loves you, but God demonstrated his love in that at a point in time in history, uh, there was a man named Jesus who was God in the flesh, God's own son, who died for me when I was helpless, when I was ungodly, when I was yet a sinner, the worst I would ever be. That's when He died for me. And that's when I understood grace. And that's, that's how I escaped my Phariseeism. Uh, there were... Uh, <clears throat> And there were teachers of the law who escaped it in their day uh, as well and followed Jesus. But, uh, but for me, the fact that he did not come to call the righteous but sinners, was, that, was a, that was a turning point for me. And I hope that, if, that it would be a turning point for you. Maybe if, maybe if you haven't thought of it quite this way, uh, the, uh, that... Now's a good time to realize that Christ died for you at, at your worst moment. He died for you while you were helpless. And that's understanding that and accepting that, accepting God's demonstration of love as a, as a free gift is what brings us into being able to live with Jesus and being able to dine with Him. Then... <clears throat> And I know many of you uh, discuss this in your small groups. After the next step, then, is, is learning how to live like Jesus. So now that we see that Jesus gave himself freely to those uh, who, who have a bad reputation, of those uh, with bad background, and he was not put off by that, then that's something that we can live like him in our own lives and make and uh, not allowing barriers of, of differences between us and others to be a hindrance in sharing our lives with them. Uh, so the thing I want to leave you with is that to become like Jesus, the first step is is becoming is learning to live with Jesus, which. Uh, which comes from putting our lives in the, in the right camp. He did not come to call the righteous, but sinners, and realizing that we are in that camp. Uh, so uh, there, <clears throat> there's a great quote from Billy Graham that I, that I, uh, I think is appropriate for those of us that have uh, grown up in America. Many, many Americans have been inoculated with the gospel. They've received just enough of it to keep them from getting the real thing. And that, that kind of describes where I was at as a freshman. And, uh, and God, by his, by his sovereign grace, uh, brought me into the real thing. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> which has, 
obviously it's supported me these last many years. Um, so <clears throat> the other, uh, I've got one more slide I wanted to throw up. So this is, this is uh, before we pray, this is, uh, uh, this is kind of me reaching out to anyone here that would like to help me uh, develop a website behind this domain. Uh, only sinners need Jesus. And, uh, and so, because the, uh, the domain exists, but there's nothing if you go there right now. Uh, but this is also what I hope that you take away from today is, is the phrase that only sinners need Jesus. And uh, Jesus, the master of irony, gave that to us as a way of remembering that all he wants from us is our helplessness and our willingness to follow him. Let's pray.